Hi, y'all. This is Carrie D. from Coffee with Carrie. Welcome to Season 2 of Coffee with Carrie podcast. It's such a privilege to do this adventure we call homeschooling with you. Thank you for tuning in again and walking this homeschooling journey with us. If you're new to us, you can find us on Instagram at Coffee with Carrie Consultant or at our website, coffeewithcarrie.org. So stick around, pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and take a little coffee break with me. I think you'll be encouraged. This podcast is the second half of a recording from our second session from our special weekend for homeschooling moms back in March. At the request of the moms in attendance, we recorded our session so we could share them in our Coffee with Carrie podcast. If you like what you hear and want to read more about how to apply the Sabbath principle to your homeschooling, then get my new book, Just Breathe, and take a sip of coffee, Homeschool and Step with God. You can get it on Amazon. Now, in our second session, the Sabbath principle, how to apply it to your homeschooling, it was much longer than a usual Coffee with Carrie podcast, so I went ahead and split it into two parts. Last week, we shared part one. This week's episode, we finish up with the recording with part two. I hope you're encouraged. So now let's talk about taking a Sabbath week or a week of rest. I love it when moms come up and ask me, how in the world do you get everything done if you really take a whole week off every seven weeks? I know it seems impossible, right? But then moms will ask me, well, you must do year round school then or start in August and end in June. No, we don't. In reality, We always start after Labor Day, and we try to finish up by our co-op's promotion night, which is usually around Memorial Day weekend. So then the next question is usually, and you stuck with this even when you had high schoolers? Yep, we sure did. Even then, we usually had a four-day week, too. Well, usually moms kind of flip out a little bit at this point, and they're usually thoroughly confused as to how we pull it off. But it is doable to apply the Sabbath principle by taking a week off every seventh week. So let's start with expectations first, okay? At least here in California, the state requires that we do 175 to 180 days of school. But we homeschool mamas, so we get to determine what a day of school looks like. Now remember, you came home for a reason. You knew educating your own at home had to be better than what was happening between the four walls of the school down the street. So don't make the mistake of coming home and modeling your homeschool after the very thing you're trying to escape. Ask yourself this question. Are you homeschooling because you're running away from something? Or are you homeschooling because you're running towards something better? Now, traditional schools organize their seven-hour days to push an agenda that doesn't align with God's Word. They don't meet the needs of a growing child, and they certainly don't teach in a way that nurtures a child's heart and mind. Why on earth would we set up our days, our weeks, our schedules, our calendars, and our year after a program or model that has failed our kids, our nation, and our families? More is not always better. More hours per day, more days per calendar school year, more instructional time in the class. None of this is healthy and all go against the natural way children learn and against the way God created the family and the learning environment. 
So why am I saying all of this? And what exactly does it have to do with taking off a week every seventh week? Well, most moms really love the idea of doing school for six weeks and then taking a week off, but most don't do it for one reason and one reason only. They feel they'll get behind. We're afraid if we take a whole week off, we will need to work harder the next week when we return, or we'll need to catch up on the weekends, or we'll need to add more weeks to our school year. Y'all, all of these reasons are lies from the pit of hell. <laughs> the last thing the enemy wants is a mom who's refreshed and ready to kick some butt. He wants a tired, worn out, depressed, stressed out mom. He wants a mom who's focused more on the world standards than on God's standards. If the enemy can get you to run on fumes, then he knows eventually you'll burn out, you'll probably blow up, and quite possibly give up in the process. And then what happens when you give up? Your kids go back to the institutions that are peddling gender fluidity, anti-biblical, anti-family, anti-American propaganda, as well as teaching revisionist history while indoctrinating our children that Dr. Seuss, Mr. Potato Head, and those sworn to protect and serve are all racist oppressors. This is when the enemy wins, when you give up. But he needs you tired and desperate for his plan to work. God knew the human heart. This is why he instituted the Sabbath. He knew our inclination would be to work without rest. He also knew what all work and no play and no rest would do to us. It would make us cranky, greedy, selfish, weary, and vulnerable. Taking a Sabbath week or a week off every seventh week, or at least doing something similar to this, will give both you and your children a chance to recoup and get refreshed. And kids need a chance to chew on what they've been learning. If they don't have a chance to take a break from all the new material, then all this cramming is just going to go in one ear and out the other. Now, hopefully you're seeing a theme here. You won't quote unquote, get behind by taking breaks or using the Sabbath principle in your lives and your homeschooling. Remember, God did promise, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. So what are some of the perks of taking a Sabbath week? Well, for one, you come back with new attitudes, both you and your kids, and new understandings. I remember one week ending with one kid literally on the floor in an all-out meltdown over fractions. I was so glad it was Friday, and I was so glad we had planned to take the next week off. We all needed the break, but I was worried if my kid didn't get the fraction concept now, we'd have to start all over again when we came back from our break. But the Holy Spirit kept prompting me not to cancel our Sabbath week, to take it and to not worry about it. Well, after our break from fractions and all things math for a week, I was stunned when we started to do fraction work on the Monday we returned. It was coming easier. The frustration was gone. The steps were remembered. There was even a little smile on his face. Somehow things were clicking now. The time away from the problem in this case, the fractions, was just what he needed for all the info to finally start to sink in. Also, make sure you really take the week off. So when you do take the week off, 
Don't use the week to cram other things or to catch up on schoolwork. If you take a week off for a family vacation, don't try to sneak in formal schoolwork on the plane or in the car. And if you take the week off from formal lessons, try not to fill it with tons of extra activities either. This might just stress you out more than the bookwork. And don't work during this week either. Really rest mentally and physically. Use the opportunity to do longer family devotions or to have dance parties in the kitchen. Let the kids sleep in a bit during your week off. Use this time for extended read-alouds or more outdoor playtime. Spend the week doing what your family enjoys. Catch up on your knitting. Invite a few friends over for a tea party or a movie night. Do some gardening or try out some new recipes. Play games or go exploring. Trust me, your kids will be learning because they're learning machines. Don't cram work and info into a tired and frustrated kid. He isn't learning anything at this point. You're just wasting your time and your child's. So take a break and then just try it again next week. They will learn more and faster when they're rested. You'll actually get more done because you took the week off to rest and recoup. So how can we apply the Sabbath principle to our monthly calendar? All right, so first of all, think about what are your objections to taking a Sabbath week or a whole week off of school every seventh week? If your expectation is that your kids get a Harvard prep education from kindergarten through 12th grade, you probably won't meet this expectation. And think about it. Do they really need to master calculus before they get to college? Do they really need to read the Iliad and the Odyssey before high school? Sure, whet their appetites for beautiful and wholesome and great things, but don't beat yourself up if your child doesn't memorize all of Shakespeare's most famous syllogies. Trust me, we'll talk about more of this in our last session today. Now, I had a huge epiphany one year when I heard Sarah McKenzie say, It's okay if your child gets to college and hasn't read all the classics. There are just some books that are better when devoured as a young adult or later in life. Amen. Here's a triple snap for that one. Growing up, my parents never read to us, so family read-alouds and reading together before bedtime became a must for me when I became a mom. But then I became this crazy woman trying to fit in every single classic I thought my kids should read before college. I tried to fit in all the books I never read as a child and all the books my friends were reading with their kids and all the books the experts kept saying I had to include. And you know what? I just couldn't do it. I couldn't read fast enough and some of the books my kids just didn't like. As I thought about what Sarah McKenzie said, I realized that some of my favorite books now as an adult were books I personally read for the first time when I read them to my kids. These books touched me and moved me more than they were moving my kids. (laughs) And I think it's because as an adult, I could appreciate the themes, the characters, the language, and the story more. It's really okay to have realistic expectations. It's heaven we're shooting for, not Harvard. It's relationships we're trying to build, not resumes for scholarships. And it's children that we teach, not curriculum. Moms, we want progress, not perfection. Sometimes giving your kids and yourself a break is exactly what's needed. 
So how can we apply the Sabbath principle to our monthly calendar? Well, ask yourself, every seven weeks, what can you and your family do or not do in order to rest, refocus, and rejuvenate? Look at your calendar and figure out which weeks you can take off to enjoy each other's company and to do some more intentional prayer, worship, and to rest. All right, let's move on to the last way to apply the Sabbath principle to our homeschooling. The idea of taking a Sabbath year or a year of rest. Okay, I know you might be thinking I'm a bit crazy right about now. Taking a break every seven weeks is stretching it. But now I'm suggesting that we take a whole year off too. All right, just stick with me and let me share with you some of God's farming practices first. Just trust me, there's a point. God instructed the Israelites to let the land rest or fallow every seven years. The land needed a break. God knew if the land lay fallow and were not farmed and seeds weren't planted every year, it would actually be better for the soil and for future crops. Giving the land a year to rest would give the land a chance to replenish the nutrients that had been leached from the glowing plants the past six years. God also promised the Israelites that in the seventh year, no plowing or planting would be necessary. God promised he would provide everything that was needed. Fruit and wheat would grow on its own, and it would be exactly what was needed for the year. They could harvest what was in the field, but they didn't need to work to make things grow. The seeds planted from years past would come to full bloom during the Sabbath year. God promised their obedience to taking a Sabbath year would be blessed. I believe we can extend this Sabbath year principle to our homeschooling too. Look at it as a year to glean and lean. We will glean fruit of our labor while leaning on God to provide our needs. Are not our homes fields that have been planted with seeds? Are not our homes full of fruit just ready to be harvested? Some say taking a year off looks a lot like unschooling and I guess depending on what you do it might. But this year of rest, this sabbatical year, it's really a year of restoration. Just like the land, we need a break. We need time set aside to rebuild, to restore, time to heal, to get replenished, and to be refilled. Think of it as a very long summer break. I mean, what do you do on your summer break? Well, the DeFranciscos, we sleep in more. We read more together as a family and independently. When it isn't COVID, we travel more and visit family. We explore more and spend whole days at the beach or the park or at the zoo, again, pre-COVID. We have friends over more often and for longer periods of time. The kids have free time to explore things they love or take extended classes or attend art, music, theater, or baseball camps. They work more, either in real jobs or around the house, and some summers they even started their own businesses. I definitely get more writing done in the summer. I attend more Bible studies in the summer. This is when I create and research and plan more in the summer. I'm also a kid observer and a people watcher in the summer. I watch what my kids are doing. I'm watching to see what they gravitate towards and how they're spending all their free time. Summer is a time full of free time, which is good for kids. And you know, boredom breeds creativity. It forces them to find things to do, people to talk with, and games to play with. It forces them to build, create, wonder, and explore. 
These are all the things you will probably do in a Sabbath year. But depending on the reason you're taking a Sabbath year, it might include a few other things. Now remember, a Sabbath year is usually a year of restoration. So if you're healing from a sickness or from a death in the family, your Sabbath year might include maybe more house cleaning and organizing and definitely more family visits. It'll be a year of healing. If your family or child just needs a complete change of scenery or a complete change of pace, then your days will be more child-centered. Your sabbatical year will be a year to reset. And if you and your child are dealing with broken relationships and more time is needed to build trust, then your sabbatical year will be a year of reconciliation. I mentioned two of our sabbatical years in my book, Just Breathe and Take a Sip of Coffee. One was when my daughter was in kindergarten or first grade when I was pregnant and my son was a baby. The other was when my son was in like fourth or fifth grade. First time we took the whole year off, it was out of necessity. I had morning sickness almost every day the entire nine months. I was exhausted. And when my son was born, he didn't sleep. He didn't take naps. I was beyond exhausted. So instead of doing formal reading and math lessons, we did the story time circuit. Each day, we went to one of our favorite libraries or bookstores for their story time. And we would stay after, we would read some books, we'd look at books, whatever. I know we can't do that right now due to all the California COVID shutdowns, but it did work for us 15 years ago. We spent the year playing games, including lots of math games. We bought a membership to the zoo. We took classes at the zoo or at Descanso Gardens. Again, pre-COVID, but things are starting to open up again. We did a lot of arts and crafts, and we played a lot of dress-up, and of course, we read, read, read. Then, when the PSP that we were in made my daughter take a standardized test in April, I was shocked at the scores. Not only was she not behind, but she was above grade level in everything but spelling. In our sabbatical year, which I took out of necessity, The pressure of keeping up in a reading program or math textbook was just gone. We didn't have to read a certain book or make a particular history project. We did do a lot of writing, but that was because Francesca liked it. She wanted to make cards for friends and family, and she wanted to make pretend menus for our pretend restaurants. Then the next time we took a sabbatical, my son was in, I think, fifth grade, and it was really for him. My daughter was in ninth grade and she had a few academic and enrichment classes that she wanted to take. So basically her year was going to these classes and then working on her homework for the rest of the week. She didn't take a sabbatical year that year, but my son did. He needed a break from the formal reading and spelling lessons. He was constantly frustrated and overwhelmed. He was constantly feeling dumb and stupid. And honestly, I think I needed the break even as much as he did. So he and I talked about what he was good at and what he would like to spend the year learning. Of course, his answer included baseball and Boy Scouts. So that's what we did. I didn't buy one workbook that year. We worked on Boy Scout badges the entire year. And when he wasn't working on badges for car mechanics and American citizenship and archery and geocaching, we did some fun baseball activities. I found some really great picture books and biographies and how-to books about baseball and baseball players, so we read those. He watched tons of baseball and physics videos on YouTube to help him run faster, hit harder, and pitch better. He kept track of his stats that season and the stats of his favorite players. 
He investigated how to make his autographed baseball collection more valuable and even how to use that collection to make him some money. He finally learned most of the states because we learned about the stadiums of each team in the MLB. His sabbatical year had way more work in it than Francesca ever did in her sabbatical year, but he didn't realize it. This was also the year we used our Wednesday co-op classes as a day of enrichment for my son. He attended the classes, but he only did the non-academic ones. He spent the day hanging out with friends. He learned a few things during the day. He came home and told his dad about it. That was it. I purposely picked classes where there was no homework. His Wednesdays were truly a learning and fellowship day. Whatever stuck, stuck. Whatever went over his head, I didn't beat it into him. (laughs) So do you feel like the Lord is calling you to maybe take a sabbatical year? Think about it. If you could take a whole year off of formal lessons, what would that year look like for you? What would you do or not do? Maybe the whole family takes a year off, or maybe just one child does. Maybe you take only a half a year off, or maybe after this weekend you decide to go on sabbatical. (laughs) As you plan, claim hold to God's promise in Isaiah 54, 13. It says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. You're not ruining them if you take things slowly this year, or if you actually take a year to rest. The soil will lay fallow. The seeds will be nourished by God. There will be a harvest of fruit at the end of it, I promise. If you need to, think of it as a year of gleaning. You're living off of the abundant harvest from years past. God will sustain you, and your kids won't get behind. If anything, they'll probably pick up a few new skills and hobbies, and I'm sure they'll learn a ton of new information, even if it doesn't come from a textbook. So let me end with Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Have you noticed the theme yet? The words Sabbath, rest, peace, and trust all seem to be connected. Verses that promise peace usually come with commands to rest and trust. Verses that describe God's principles for the Sabbath are usually followed by promises of peace and rest. In Isaiah 26.3, Isaiah spells it out for us. If our minds are focused on God because we truly trust God and His Word, then the Lord will keep us in perfect peace. The Living Bible puts emphasis on turning our thoughts often to the Lord. The NIV version emphasizes being steadfast and trusting in the Lord. It says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And just to make sure we're clear on God's promises in Isaiah 26, 3, take a look at the amplified version. It says, you will keep in perfect and constant peace the one whose mind is steadfast that is, committed and focused on you in both inclination and character, because he trusts and takes refuge in you with hope and with confident expectation. We trust in the Lord and turn our thoughts to him because we're filled with hope and confident expectation. One final thought, and it comes from Psalm 23, 1-6, and you know it well. It can be applied to our homeschooling too. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Mamas, my bones ache. My body is sore. My eyes are red and puffy from this year. It's been a rough one emotionally and physically. COVID and isolation were actually the least of our worries in 2020 and 21. And when it comes to parenting and homeschooling, sometimes I can push myself beyond the breaking point physically, emotionally, and mentally. But it's in these times that God in his grace makes me lie down. (laughs) He makes me slow down. My computer will crash, or my body succumbs to a virus, or my circumstances cause my life to come to a screeching halt. When I refuse to stop and get the help I need, or to take the rest I need, the Lord makes me lie down. In His grace, He brings me to my knees so that He can restore my soul. I won't rest on my own, so God brings me to the still waters. Yet in our stubborn nature, we push and we push and we push and we drain ourselves until we have nothing left to give. In this state, we cannot rest. We're in panic mode and we're afraid all the time. When we're in this state, we need to follow our good shepherd to the still waters. We need to lie down in the green pastures and rest our weary souls. We need to stop and just breathe. When we truly rest in the Lord, There is no need to fear evil. Our cup will overflow with God's goodness, His grace, and His peace. Thank you for hanging out with us and for joining me for this little coffee break. I hope you enjoyed our Sabbath principle, how to apply it to your homeschooling session from our mom's conference a few weeks ago. If this is your first time joining us, you can find us at our website, coffeewithcarry.org. We also have daily devotions and homeschooling tips on our Instagram account, coffeewithcarryconsultant. And don't forget to check out my new book, Just Breathe, and take a sip of coffee, Homeschool and Step with God. If you heard something you liked, then share our podcast with a friend who might need a little encouragement this week. And if you haven't already, we would love for you to subscribe to Coffee with Carrie podcast, and then maybe take a few minutes to leave a little review. Thank you in advance for listening to us each week and for sharing our podcast, our book, and our homeschooling mom ministry with your friends. We're so very honored and grateful. It's our prayer that our website, our homeschooling consulting services, our podcast, and our new book will help you homeschool one step at a time, one day at a time, and one cup of coffee at a time. We're praying for you. Stay healthy. God bless. And see you next time.